Is there but, uh, yeah. so when huh? when you and like when you and your peers watch Silicon Valley, um, do you take a, like offense to be uh, to Huli? Like do you do you take no, offense to that or? It's kind of an inside joke. I mean, we I've literally been at EBCs where our VPs are wearing Huli T-shirts. So Google's got a pretty good sense of humor, so we don't take ourselves that seriously. But it is funny. I I do have friends that won't watch the show because they say it brings back. PTSD of being in startups. It's too close to reality in the valley. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, it's, uh, it's it's definitely a great show. I I my wife watches it and looks at me like, is this what your job is like? And I'm like, no, it's nothing. It's nothing like that. I would never get to work on the roof. Well, that's so funny because we were joking. I give tours all the time. It's like one of my things that I do around the office. You know, we have quite a bit of people coming in, and we do have two roof decks here in Los Angeles. So I kind of joke about we, we literally can go be sent to the roof here if we need to be. It's greatness. Brent, are you ready to do this thing? <laughs> I'm ready to rock and roll, man. Yeah. Why don't you kick it off for us? We'll do that. Uh, so, you know, another week, another episode, and you are here on the hot aisle. I'm one of your hosts, Brian Carpenter, with me. Brent Piatti, good morning, good afternoon. Let's do this thing, Brent. Are you ready? I'm ready to rock and roll, man. I'm excited to do this one again. Yes. Uh, and we've got a fantastic guest. And I've been talking a lot about uh, you uh, with my peers uh, as we've been ramping up for this and, and letting them know that uh, we're looking forward to another episode. So for, for our listeners uh, that haven't heard the story, uh, our guest today we've had on and uh, we had an epic two-hour episode that we recorded, but unfortunately we were we we're unable to release. But now we have him back almost a year later, and and we are we are ready to dig into this. So so Brian, why don't you go ahead and introduce the session and the guest? Yeah. So uh, with us this week is Josh Quyther. So uh, Josh, welcome to the show, man. Thanks, guys. Good to be here for the first. Well, I mean, second time. Yeah. Let's not fake it. We know. I mean, Brett can't let it go. I think it's no big deal. Um, and, you know, like I'm just used to legal saying you can't do things anymore. It's kind of my new world. So the goal of this show is to uncover the magical mystery that is Google Cloud Platform. And all of our notes are a year old, so we're going to ask you really outdated questions. No. Um, the we're, We really want to talk about what the focus of the company is these days. Um, you know, how you plan to take out AWS yeah. or even if you care about AWS. Um, how you know Google's attacking modern concepts like IoT and serverless and all those other things, and uh, you know you you clearly are the right person to talk to about this. Just in five seconds of ramp up, you said more words than I, than I could understand. I was taking notes and I couldn't keep up, so I'm gonna have to go back and listen to it. So you know, Josh, tell us you know tell us what you do today at Google. Yeah, so today I'm what we we call our customer engineering team at GCP. Or Google Cloud, actually. It's all encompassing now. So that's one of the changes. There's been so many changes over the last year. Everything's kind of evolved so fast that one of the things that happened um, last year is that part of the Google Cloud team, um, it now encompasses more than GCP. So when we say Google Cloud, um, as far as customer engineering, it includes GCP, which is a large, large portion of my daily job. But it also includes now G Suite. Um, it, it includes Chrome. It includes Android for work. Um, so it's really all all encompassing of Google products for a complete digital transformation of a customer's environment from everything from cloud services to how they how business processes work to um, how you collaborate to what devices you use. So it's it's pretty exciting. It's a huge portfolio of of services and products, but it's really exciting. And it, it sounds like it's really um, I guess grouped together to be organizational or business focus as compared to consumer focus? Is that kind of the delineation? Like uh, not a lot of YouTube in your conversation there, but uh, maybe if there was a, a corporate version of video chat, that might be part of your conversation. You'd be surprised. Actually, YouTube comes up quite a bit. YouTube, um, AdWords, DoubleClick. It's you know part of my vocabulary now that I've had to become very, they're very fluent in. Is be, and some of the things, you know, that's, that's a great point you make because one of the things that we're, we're, we're trying to focus on is becoming more of a uh, of you know running your business on Google not so much you know GCP is a component of that but you know running your business with with Google and that means advertisement as well so you know as, as many customers as I walk into that might be new to GCP or, or you know G suite um, you know 99.9 percent .9 of our customers especially in the fortune you know 5,000 are all Google customers on the ad side 
Um, so a lot of what we're trying to do is bring together the ad worlds and the cloud world and provide additional value um, by collaborating between the, the groups within Google. And just to give you an example, that's one of the things we're in early accesses right now is one of the asks we get a lot of is to be able to ingest AdWord data, YouTube analytics, uh, double-click analytics into our data warehouse service called BigQuery. So that's you know something we're we're piloting right now with customers. So if you're uh, if you're a Google Cloud platform customer and you're also a Google advertisement customer, you can actually ingest that data right into BigQuery, and then you know um, run analytics against the raw data that you've been using for advertisement, and correlation with maybe your spend information, maybe outside entities. Uh, so it's it's it, like I said, it's funny you say YouTube because I had to get up to speed on, on definitely more than just cloud because as we, like I said, as we walk into customers, although they might be new to GCP, they're very, they're very, um, they're very versed in using AdWords, DoubleClick and YouTube as an advertisement methodology through Google. So now they want to, you know, they want, they want to have access to that data and then, like I said, run analytics on it um, in conjunction with some, you know, third party or external data. So it's, it's interesting world for sure. Yeah. So, so Josh, we, we're, I think we're going to focus primarily on the the GCP side of the house. Um, yeah, without that's... you know going, we could have probably a, a five or ten hour episode if we focus on everything <laughs> Google Cloud yeah. or just Google in general. Um, but so 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 cloud in is an overused term, um, right? Used right or wrong or incorrect or or right. But um, what is your or Google's definition of cloud and and um, how does that correlate to what GCP is is offering? Yeah, I don't know if you know that's a good question. I don't know. I haven't seen an official statement of our definition of cloud. Uh, you know, it's it's an interesting concept within Google because you know primarily Google was born as a cloud company. So you know a lot of you know internally and even you know externally we don't really delineate between the cloud and everything else because everything is built the cloud scale and kind of is a cloud from the very beginning of Google search. Uh, so, you know, if I would say, if I was going to define it, it would be more, you know, just the availability of, of compute services um, across the globe so that you can run your business at maximum efficiency. Um, yeah, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough one to answer here at Google, because like I said, it's, it's a different world where everything we've built from the very beginning has been scaled to be accessibly globally and available as a service. It's just kind of how everything's done here. This might be why we don't have an official cloud statement because it's just kind of like, well, that's that's everything. Yeah, this is an opportunity for you to go grab that and create the point of view and really just brand <laughs> yeah. yourself as the as the as the guy at Google who defined cloud. Uh, but in the meantime, um, you know, we, <laughs> we see we see a lot of people, and we you know we hear these things like uh, hybrid cloud and you know the concept of hybridity and obviously you know from a a i think i made up the word hybridity just now but the you know the whole idea of um you know using cloud and leveraging different types of consumption models uh there's still a lot of conversations about on-prem is there is there a a um, strategy between google cloud and everything that you're doing and all the things you're working on where you are expecting customers to have uh some things on-prem still or even helping them keep things on-prem or are you driving some of your conversations towards that especially given how you're talking about making everything available globally um, and on-prem type experience doesn't quite equate to that so what's your story when you talk to people about what things stay on-prem or if anything even needs to stay there yeah i mean it's, it's tough you know obviously i'm a little biased being tied so closely to gcp is you know and, and um Eric Schmidt said it really well at our next conference, you know, five or six weeks ago now that it's just, there's no, and I, and again, this is, this is just coming you know, me personally that, you know, it's hard for me to find justification to keep things on prem anymore. Um, you know, I was a, a big advocate of hybridity and we used to say that word at VMware. So <laughs> someone else owns the rights to it, but Trademark. Um, you know, it's okay. Yeah, yeah. You know, hy hybridity is is talked about a lot. You know, what I'm finding when the when the rubber meets the road in the real world, though, that the operational overhead in trying to stretch uh, legacy monolithic applications into a next generation cloud are sometimes insurmountable, and it becomes more of a question of you know when is the right time to replatform, and what would that platform look like. 
And, you know, for primarily it's, it's right now on-prem when we were talking Google specifically is Kubernetes. So, you know, a lot, there's a lot of conversation around containers in general as being that abstraction layer above even public clouds. So that if you want, if you're going to stay on-prem for, for any foreseen time and you want to have a cleaner mechanism to moving to the cloud, then containerizing, and, that, and that's a, a loaded word, but containerizing your applications gives you that mobility. Uh, because at that, at that point, you're not dependent on a virtualization platform or even a cloud framework. You know, you're, you're more dependent on just uh, the container itself. I, I, I see you guys nodding your head. I don't know if it, can you can yeah. use my audio. Or? No, no, we were actually, yeah, we, uh, we normally, since we didn't see your video, we normally uh, remind you that uh, our nonverbal communication is just to decide not to fight over the microphone. Um, uh, and so, gotcha. yeah, we're, so let's, I mean, let's hit that, right? You said containerized yeah. is a loaded word. Um, and so we were fighting over who was going to ask you, why is it a loaded, <laughs> why, is, why is containerization a loaded concept to you? Well, because it, you know, it, you can't just, you know, I think that was what everybody was kind of looking for a year or two years ago that, Hey, I'm running VMs. I just want to turn those in containers. And that's not really the value of containers. And it's not really the way containers and microservices are meant, meant to work. You know, it's really, and that's the kind of the hard lesson that I think everybody's kind of going through right now is that, okay, I, I love the flexibility of containers. I love the flexibility of being able to run on-prem, off-prem, but I keep, there's no P to C, <laughs> I guess, tool. You know, I'm not just going to take a virtual machine and, 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 build it into a container because what I, you know, talk to my customers about, it's really about how you're developing, about taking monolithic applications and building those into microservices. And because, you know, really, if you want to get, you know, take advantage of, of the cloud, a lot of that, a lot of that advantage is around the flexibility and auto scaling capabilities that microservices and containers give you. Because if you're just forklifting what you have on-prem into the cloud, you're really not, you're you know, you're getting out of possibly running a data center and dealing with infrastructure, but there's a lot of both cost benefits and performance benefits that you're not getting out of the cloud by just maintaining that same model. And, you know, just to give you an example, like what I, what I mean by that is, you know, for if you can get to, you know, a stateless, uh, uh, um, stateless micro segmentation or microservices uh, topology, then you can do things like auto scaling into preemptible VMs, where you know they're they're available for a certain period of time and then they die, but you get a flat 75% discount on those VMs. So if you, I, I, this, that's the fun part to me is now is that you can architect your applications for performance, uh, you can architect your application for scale, but you can also um, applicate or architect your application. Um, for financial viability, and that's kind of fun too. That's it's, it's a it's a kind of a new concept, but there are some heavy lifting you can if you could, if you're, you know, when you look at the ROI of replatforming, it's more than just performance and availability. Now it's really you can architect to take advantages of the the payment methodologies within these clouds, and you yeah yeah you might take a there might be some upfront heavy lifting you have to do, and there's some costs associated with that, but if you can get to these new flexible microservice models. And take advantage of you know basically game some of the pricing methodologies in these public clouds. You can architect a, a you know a, a extremely um, robust scalable uh, application um, that's extremely cost effective as well. So that to me is fun. Like taking you know that was something we really didn't do in the past, but now taking the financial into the into the equation of how you're going to architect an application is pretty exciting too. Yeah, it's interesting to say that I saw that um, Google just, or not Google, sorry, Docker just announced uh, a service to where they'll basically lift and shift um, enterprise applications and containerize them for a for a fee, and then they'll they'll teach you how to do it. Um, yeah. But you know, they're basically saying these applications have to fit this specific mold. Uh, but the preference, I think, to your point is, hey, these monoliths should be broken up into you know more of a microservices approach, but if you absolutely have to keep this thing intact, we, we can help you do that. Um, I, I wanted to, to kind of dive into, you brought up a kind of gaming the system, the financial models. Um, yeah. You know, I've been, I've been doing a lot of reading just in on, on like the, the cloud pricing index and some other things. And, and what, what I'm seeing is that in general, uh, public cloud is not cheaper than doing something on premises, but, 
public cloud is growing very, very quickly, right? I mean, we're talking about yeah. um, 20, 30% growth in, in a huge, huge uh, um, market. You know, we're, I think Gartner was predicting about $250 billion in spend just in uh, uh, 2017 alone. So people are clearly moving that direction in yep. spite of the fact that it's not cheaper. So why is this happening? Yeah, well, I mean, that's a good, yeah, you bring up a good point. We uh, actually run this point quite a bit. And when you say not cheaper, um, that really, it really comes, it's really, it's not cheaper when you're running in hybrid, really, is what that comes down to. Is, you know, when, when, and when you're, when you're running on-prem and you're running in the cloud, you're going to be running at a, a higher expenditure than if you were running it on all-prem, you know, for sure. I mean, that was something I always said that, you know, don't fool yourself that, that if you look at just raw compute resources versus in the cloud versus on-prem, you can make the argument that, hey, it's much cheaper for me to buy servers and put them into my data center than it is to lease services in the cloud. And, and when, we ha when I have this conversation with customers, too, it's more about, you know, for the, for the short term, and I do work with customers that are all cloud-based now, no question, but for the customers that have on-premises investments and now looking at the cloud, to run concurrently is going to be expensive. But it's more about what you're looking to do in the next two to three years. Because what, what you got to equate into that factor is a couple of key components. Is one is the operational overhead. So if you're just looking at raw compute infrastructure, a lot of times the cloud looks more expensive. But say, for example, you're looking at a 200-node Hadoop cluster. And yeah, it, it may look cheaper to go ahead and buy infrastructure for two years and run it on-prem. But when you equate the three to four um, personnel that you need to run that and their full FTE overhead costs, and then you compare that with the cloud and you you know count the, the electrical, the power, the, the utilities needed to run that, then all of a sudden cloud becomes much more cost effective. It's when you tip your toe, when you're half in and half out is when it's probably the most expensive. And then it becomes, okay, well, what's the, the long-term objective? If you're looking to um, primarily move out of the data center, then, yeah, you're going to run in an overhead for a little bit, but eventually get to a model where there's no, there's no operational overhead, um, there's no uh, facilities to manage, and then there's also the opportunity cost. And that's probably the big thing. That it's, it's fuzzy, and it's hard to, to equate an, a number to. But I, I give the Hadoop example again because this is you know, one of the things that comes up quite a bit is today if I'm working with a customer and they're going to do some data analytics on a, a large data set and they're debating whether they want to do an internal Hadoop cluster or run it on our Hadoop service called Dataproc, um, you know, even if they came to the conclusion that, okay, you know what, um, I'm going to go ahead and build a, a 200 node cluster on, on premises because we think the hardware is going to be cheaper or even with the operational overhead, it might be a little bit cheaper. If I said, if they made that decision today, and okay, you're not going to do it in the cloud. You're going to do it on-prem. I would I would put money that it would be 12 months before they're ready to do they're ready to hand it over to their data scientists to do any meaningful work on it. Whereas, and I'm not exaggerating. I mean, I could spin up a 500 node Hadoop cluster in 90 seconds in the cloud. So what does that six months year cost you an opportunity to not be available to go today versus doing it on-prem? And that's that's the again. It's really hard to put a number in there. And but you know that's that fuzzy soft dollar that when we do an ROI on doing it on prem versus the cloud, you really have to consider. And if it's in if, if it's in a competitive market, that six months, twelve months can mean everything of getting out ahead. So that's really where you know why so many people are moving to the cloud. And it's not it's not it's not new. It's it's agility. You know, time to market trumps pretty much everything these days. I mean, things are just accelerating so fast that to wait six months today even seems like a long time to kick off a data analytics project. And so it's, you know, when I can walk in and spin up this, that on my laptop in 90 seconds, it's very compelling to be like, you know what, we'll pay the premium or even if it may or may not be a premium to be running today versus six months from now. Yeah, and there's, there, with opportunity costs is everything, right? We, uh, I think I argue yeah. that a lot with not just uh, anything, but anything that's kind of more turnkey than not, there's always this, you know, what else could you be doing while you're waiting to do that? Um, yeah. and you know, we, there's a lot of arguments around the idea of certain types of businesses require capital expenditures, uh, certain types of businesses need things like the ability to do things like forbearance, right? Like I can't, I can't lower my monthly chunk when I'm constantly running, you know, I would have to just simply move out or shut down. Um, and there's risk to that. And so, um, there's, there's probably a whole bunch of other financial arguments where I feel like 
one day I'd love to get like a, a cloud CFO, like somebody who's actually the kind of like the financials person for Google uh, with somebody who's way smarter than I am about money um, <laughs> because I still spend $7 on drinks at Starbucks. So I know I'm not good with money. Um, but if we, if we look at the other part of this, you, let's just say you've got me. You said, ah, I, you said you're dumb on-prem is wrong. I, and I'm, I'm all in, <laughs> right? I, I hear you now. Why would, how would you convince me with all the competition out there? Um, when you talked about, you know, there's, there's Azure They're They're not bad. Uh, there's the Amazon people, you know, they, I think they sell great groceries. You know, why, why would I want Google cloud? over the competition like how do you how do you shift me into the mindset of google cloud versus those other alternatives like what where's yeah, your compelling yeah. argument to me like you know drive it home you got me halfway there i'm going all off now how do you get me to go all into google cloud yeah i mean without getting into the the, the technical side of things right i mean it really comes down to if, if you're going to move wholeheartedly into a public cloud it's not a public cloud anymore that i mean that's that's your business partner right i mean you are tied to that choice you make and so one of the things that we talk about when you're moving to public cloud is, you know, who aligns with your strategic vision more when you're looking at public cloud? For, let's just say all things are equal and they're not. And I, I'll go into some details, some differentiators here and there on some of the technology. But you've got a powerhouse retailer that may or may not be competing with a lot of your customer base. Um, you've got a, I don't want to say legacy. I mean, Microsoft's doing a lot of a lot of new a new new technology, but primarily focused on a, a Windows-based environment partner, or you've got um, a technology innovator that's focused primarily on you know data and machine learning for the future, and making huge bets in future technologies, just not in the cloud, but in every realm of society and, and technology. So you know, all things being equal, from a from a platform perspective, it's really like who do you align with from a business partner perspective? Who would you want to work with out of those three? if you had to choose to go into business with somebody. And I know it sounds a little wishy-washy, but it really is the, rea the reality of, of kind of what's going on. And a lot of the reason why people are choosing Google is that, you know what? Yeah, you're right. Uh, if I look at as my cloud provider as a business partner, nobody's being more innovative in, in technology today than, than Google. You know, Amazon's doing some great things in retail, but that's one vertical. Um, yeah, and they're expanding out. They've got some rocket ships, but <laughs> overall, you know, when you look at the, the portfolio of what a business partner can bring to you, um, Google's very compelling. And that's kind of, you know, I talked about a little earlier, I know we're going to focus on GCP, but it kind of encompasses the, you know, running your business on this platform. And with Google, it's more than just compute resources, it's collaboration, it's devices, it's, it's everything. And, and so much of today's focus, of, you know, the hot buzzword is machine learning and data analytics. When you pull back the covers on who's who's made more progress in that area than anybody else, it's it's hands down Google, and that's something very different from. Again, I, it really it's not even about technology; it's about the people. When you work with Google, um, you get access to, you know, it's we call it engineer to engineering, and you get access to not just experts in a lot of these these platforms and services. You get access to primarily, you know, some of the people that wrote these platforms. Um, that wrote the open source um, um, platforms that you're using in the data center in some of these public clouds today, you know, like Kubernetes, like TensorFlow, um, MapReduce, all that stuff came out of out of Google. So yeah, that's really, you know, it's one of those things where if you're just doing a cost comparison, yeah, they're all very close. But when you want to do the big, the impossible, and when you're dreaming, you want to have, I guess, you know, a, a partner that aligns with your vision and that you have confidence in that can deliver. Because the reality is, and that's what I love about working at Google and the, really the difference I see too, is that if you, want, if you want to get Googlers excited, tell them it can't be done. And you'll have 40 Googlers in two minutes trying to figure out how it can be done. <laughs> and so that's, we really love the edge cases. It's something we look for. You know, we, it's, we joke about it. And I, again, it sounds kind of wishy-washy and maybe I've drank a lot of the Google Kool-Aid over the last year, but, you know, 10X is, is we, you know, the, what we say is, you know, we don't want to do, th we, we like to do things that are 10x what you thought possible today. So we like working with customers that have the big dreaming ideas that they weren't able to ever able to accomplish in the, their, own, their own data center on their own. Come to us with the impossible, what you think is the impossible, and that's what we want to work with you on. And that's very different than what you'll get from other cloud providers that 
may you know they may not have the the ability, the inside talent, the engineering, or just the capacity. But I mean that's long. I mean we can get into details on services, but really that's what it's coming down to today. Highest level is who do you want to go into business with? Because that's really what you're doing when you're going full hard into into the cloud. Yeah, absolutely. So Josh, um, from a from a services perspective, obviously you guys have have come out with a bunch of different services. You talked about the BigQuery and things like that. And obviously the other public cloud providers have a whole lot of things too. Um, I was talking with a startup uh, a few weeks back and they're like, we're only using our public cloud provider. And at the time it was um, Azure and AWS for infrastructure as a service, right? Primarily just for compute and storage. If you look at uh, Google Cloud, and the uses usage of it. What is the primary um, service being utilized? Is it infrastructure as a service, or um, would you say they're using a multitude of the products? Um, you know, they're using a multitude, but you know, just today where the industry is at, right? I think if you looked at, and this is an official, I don't, I have to, I'm not 100% sure, but just in my take, Google's a little different. Because, you know, we were a little ahead of the curve when it came to some of the next generation services. You know, PaaS was launched in 2008, which is crazy to think about. You know, I remember trying, trying to convince even a, any customer to go to public cloud in 2008 was, was, a, was a huge struggle, let alone saying not only go to public cloud, but use PaaS. And, you know, we're still educating people, you know, I guess the world's still being educated on what PaaS is versus public cloud. So we've we've definitely got a little bit of a, a different dichotomy in, in GCP versus some of the other clouds. But overall, I would say there's still a lot of traditional infrastructure as a service and and um, you know just object storage is a, is a huge portion of that. But right on the heels of that are our BigQuery. Um, you know, BigQuery is probably one of the most popular features, if not the most popular feature in GCP right now. Um, but you have a lot of also, you know, App Engine is very popular as well. So the the the, the customers that have that have embraced PaaS are going full steam ahead. I mean, that's kind of been kind of our claim to fame. So we do have this champion of customers that are all around App Engine. Um, we have our you know a traditional infrastructure as a service and object storage, and like I said, BigQuery. But right on the heels of that is 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 machine learning. So our TensorFlow as a service and our machine learning APIs are just kind of exploding at this point. So, you know, I can't predict the future, but I, I would say, and, and then there's Kubernetes. That's the whole, you know, our, our GKE is a service, our, our Kubernetes service. That one's, I was, that one's pro- probably taken off faster than anything else as well. Like every, every net new application, every digital native company starting up today, I can think of are all developing within Kubernetes. Um, they're not doing, uh, they're not using virtual machines. It's just just not the concept that people are developing with anymore. If you're starting an, a new application, the last thing you want to do is manage operating systems and manage full OSs. So a lot of, a lot of Kubernetes going on. So it's going to be a race. It'll be interesting to see 12 months from now. Um, if, I, if I had to guess, um, Kubernetes would surpass uh, our just traditional IIS, VMs. Um, BigQuery and machine learning probably be neck and neck. Um, and then beyond that, um, we just announced Spanner, which is our globally consistent database service that we use for ad, AdWords and the Google Play Store. It's, it's an amazing product as well, but it's just been betaed uh, six weeks ago, I think. So I think that's going to get a lot of uptake in the future, too. But it'll be interesting. I think that's, it's a reflection of where the industry is at, definitely, for sure. But again, I think we're a little skewed because of our, our past being you know, attractive to startups, digital native, um, cutting edge developers. So we have a little bit or heavier usage in containers, PaaS platforms and BigQuery. Do you find yourself getting into knife fights around um, capabilities and speeds and feeds? You know, I read read through an article uh, this morning comparing uh, EC2 and, um, you know, so basically compute and, and storage on Azure AWS and Google, and they talked about, hey, this this uh, um, 
this volume can scale to 64 terabytes versus, you know, AWS can only do 32 terabytes and we can do 30,000 IAPs and they can only do 10,000. Like, do those types of things continue to come up in this world or um, are they really consuming them as a service uh, and, and with scalability in mind and the ability to do call it horizontal scaling? Yeah, I mean, honestly, never. I haven't had that conversation in a long, long time. It just never comes up, you know. I mean, I think, I, you know, I get that there's, there's, you know, that's taken from a very infrastructure-centric focus. You know, the, those blog posts and what you read about. I, honestly, I, you know, I was thinking about that the other day, and it's like it, I probably haven't talked about it in a year at least. And it's kind of the point is, you know, you're unless you're going to scale bigger than than Google, we've got you covered. We might have to make some architectural changes to how you've been developing in the past. And yeah, a lot of that means horizontally scaling versus large monolithic virtual machines. But you're you're literally riding on the backs of Google when you use GCP. So I'd be, you know, I've never, you know, we we don't typically run into customers that if we can't look at their architecture, um, that are going to scale past what we can provide. Uh, you know, it, to us, it's not, you know, that, and that's probably why it never comes up because. If you're worried about IOPS or memory on a on a single VM, then you're 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 not architecting it right for our cloud, and that's something that we'll work with you on, and you'll be in a better place once you get away from having to figure you know worry about constraints of the VM performance. Um, and you know I I understand the the mindset, and you know it takes a little bit of a shift to get into some of these new architectures. But again, I mean that's the thing. Like I said, it, we've got capacity in our services that'll probably outscale anything you've ever wanted to do. It's just now how do we architect what you want to do to fit that model? That's more, that's primarily what I have conversations around. I, I never get questioned on IOPS or memory or anything like that. Yeah, there's a, there's not a lot of maximums conversations that are usually aligned to business value, right? Like uh, no. it's usually something else. It's a, it's a stump the chump argument or it's just a, a footnote for why you want to pick what you want to pick already because you already believe in it or whatever. It's rarely because you actually need 30 trillion IOPS or, you know, you know, a container every millisecond or whatever it is. So yeah. uh, maximums conversations are usually rarely valuable and rarely have outcomes of the business in mind. Um, so you, you mentioned something, you, you, you kind of mentioned um, as we talked about things like serverless and all these other things. And frankly, you were talking about, you know, a, a retailer and being kind of a, a competitor. So I have, I have two questions is, you know, one, when you look at, uh, things like AWS. And, you know, I've actually had customers say, I'm not going to go use XYZ because they directly compete with me. Um, you know, one's a grocer for sure, right? They were like, I'm, yeah. I sell groceries and I'm, you know, I'm even automating my, how I do groceries. I don't want <laughs> to do that with somebody else who wants to sell groceries out from underneath me. Um, yeah. Does, does Google and Google Cloud really have a belief that you're not going to, especially as diverse and creative as you are, uh, get into the business of doing all of these other things that might end up being, you know, in competition with very large organizations, whether it's healthcare or financials or retail or those kind of things. Yeah, I mean, there's there's always the chance that, that we're going to move into an endeavor that might compete. I mean, it's it's just the nature, especially with the the the, the global expansion of Google, right? I mean, there's always moonshot little projects that are going on, but it and it you know it's not. It's not that it can arise, but I think, and you know, specifically retail is such a large part of of the online econ, you know, the online presence. I guess, uh, but as far as business goes, that there's probably a lot of more conflict of interest there. But it can happen. You know, I think it's. You know, I'm not going to say that there's not anywhere we compete with some of our our customers on GCP. There, there definitely is, but um, I don't know. I guess it's just more just a. It's it's hard to. Again, these are these wishy-washy things of being at Google. It's, it's you know, don't be evil. The, the Googliness here, it runs through everything we do, right? So, you know, we're cognitive of who, are, who are, our customers are on the cloud, and we're aware of those situations and, and do our best not to, not, to, uh, not to arrive at a conflict of interest with some of our marquee customers. But, it, you know, there, there, there's definitely that possibility. I mean, that's kind of the caveat with public cloud. And, that, again, it goes back to that partnership of looking at who you're going to partner with you know, where are those, where could those conflicts of interest lie down the road, you know, and maybe, maybe we're not the best partner because of some conflict of interest. Um, but for the most part, specifically in retail, you know, we're the, the, the golden child of, of cloud because, <laughs> you 
know, everybody, everybody's been kind of waiting for a, a third incumbent. And, uh, you know, after last year's really coming out with Diane Green and folks on the enterprise, we've got a lot of, a lot of traction there for sure. And so the other thing you kind of mentioned was, you know, this idea of all these things you're creating being engineer driven, really focused, kind of more aligning to where things are headed and where things are going. Um, you look at something, especially when you look at your, um, I just blanked on it, your cloud functions, right? Your kind of serverless conversation. We really see serverless from Amazon being driven by what appears to be, you know, we've, we've built it around uh, Alexa and a lot of the development around what that is and using that. Um, is there a whole different mindset and a whole different argument about what cloud functions is versus um, what the serverless opportunities are from a Amazon perspective uh, and, you know, what they're doing? Yeah, I mean, we see cloud functions as more of if you just you want to do some, you know, quick and dirty uh, function out, I don't want, no pun intended, functions within GCP. Because, you know, the, the difference is, I think, with, with, with AWS and with GCP is AWS doesn't have, a, you know, a, a PaaS platform. So if you want to just write some simple code and upload it to their cloud, they needed some type of functionality for that, which is Lambda. So for us, it's, it's and I have this conversation quite a bit, is, you know, we have cloud functions. And if, if you want to just write snippets of code that are, that take action based on the platform itself. So, you know, certain things happen within GCP, my snippet of code launches and it does something else within GCP. If it's, if you're focused on, um, taking advantage of, of functionality on the platform, then cloud functions is is where you might want to put it. But we have a very, very robust PaaS platform that you can also just drop snippets of code into. So it's kind of a, you know, I, I go back and forth between App Engine and cloud functions, because if you're just looking to, um, on request, launch a snippet of code, that's also App Engine. And you're only paying for App Engine when those requests are being sent to your, your, your snippet of code. So, you know, when I when I look at, you know, it is very different at GCP. When I look at cloud functions or cloud Lambda comparisons come up, I really just kind of ask, you know, what are you trying to do? If you're trying to take action based on the platform, then yeah, maybe it's cloud functions. If, you know, for example, if you want to drop something into a bucket and then import it into BigQuery, um, so maybe use cloud functions because that's a trigger that we can look for and you just write a snippet of code. But say if you, if you, you know, but if you're writing, if you just want a snippet of code to perform some general, you know, ETL or, you know, some application service that only you only want to pay for when it gets called. You can do that in App Engine too. Um, so it's we've you know we've we've got a service we've had a service like I said for a long time that allows you just to drop snippets of code and pay for when it's called, whereas AWS really didn't. So I can see the attractiveness of Lambda for the same reason I see a lot of attractiveness of our PaaS platform is I just want to drop code. I don't want to worry about infrastructure at all, scaling it at all, and I only want to pay for when that resource is called. So, you know, so right now it's, it, it's an interesting because, you know, we've had paths integrated into our platform, um, whether or not cloud functions becomes a huge movement is still yet to be seen. You know, I, I do seem to see some use cases for it. I've created a little, a couple of little cloud functions myself for imports of, of, of database exports in buckets into BigQuery. I see that as a great use case, um, but we'll see, you know, I haven't seen this huge revolution in, in cloud functions yet. Yeah, speaking of BigQuery, that reminds me of a comment you made earlier about uh, utilizing AdWords and other things like that. Um, flipping through the news this morning, it was interesting to note that GCP is actually growing. Uh, it's one of the fastest lines of business growing within Google, even beyond um, uh, advertisement. So that was, I mean, for for a you know quote unquote advertising company, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, that's that's pretty that's pretty interesting and. And I think that's probably why Diane Green was saying, hey, we have a shot in the next five years to be the largest uh, public cloud provider. Um, what are your thoughts on that comment? And is that is that a um, is, is that realistic? Is that are you seeing enough enough um, uptick in your world to justify becoming the number one cloud provider? In the yeah, next five absolutely. Years? Absolutely. I mean, I, I'm I'm so bullish on on Google Cloud, and it's one of those things. There's a couple of things. Like, just give you an example. So, we've had our, our user conference next for three years now. Uh, three years ago, we had 250 attendees. I think somewhere between 200 and 350. Last year, um, we had about 2,500. Um, this year, we had to cap it off at a little over 11,000. We ran out of capacity. I mean, that's that's the user community. That's how fast that's growing. 
I fully expect it to be probably, <laughs> you know, I don't want to, I would bet it would be somewhere around 20,000 next year. But the other thing with which I really, what I love about cloud in general is it's so different than, you know, when I used to work for, you know, hardware vendors where you, or even software vendors in the past where there was such a, such a, a, a risk and capital outlay to even use the products. You, you know, you had these sales cycles that were year long and there's millions of dollars that have to be spent before you get full access to what these platforms can do. And I love cloud and that there's, there's really no barrier of entry. There's no risk in, in, you know, giving these platforms a test run. And so I think, you know, what we, what we just were struggling with for the last couple of years, just an awareness. And a lot of, you know, the press and analysts were saying that this last <clears throat> user conference next was really our coming out to the public. And what I've seen and the feedback I'm getting is from, you know, the development community and the, you know, the, the sysadmins is, um, you know, we were an AWS customer or we were an Azure customer or we're doing stuff on-prem and we just decided to try your platform and holy, this thing is amazing. You know, that's, and that's the, you know, the rubber really meets the road in the cloud because you, you, you can use it. You know, we're going to give you 300 bucks and it doesn't sound like a lot, but $300, you can spin up a pretty impressive little POC within GCP. And it's, it's one of those things, it's all the little, the little, the details in how you deploy in Google versus other cloud providers that add up to just this experience that has been blowing the minds of the developer community. It's this groundswell that I think is going to hit, it's going to, you know, um, come to fruition over the next three to four years is that as more and more uh, developers are starting to use the platform and sysadmins are starting to use the platform, they talk to other sysadmins who talk to other developers who talk to other sysadmins. And it's through word of mouth. It almost reminds me of the VMware days in the early days when it was, you know, you had these rogue sysadmins that were using it in the data center because it just works so well and eventually kind of exploded into the default factor within the, within the data center. Um, that's what I see in, in GCP too, because that's, again, that's what I love about cloud. I, I've, I've never had somebody come back to me in the time I've been at Google and say, you know, we tried your cloud and nah, it wasn't really what we thought it was going to be, or it didn't perform like we wanted it to, or uh, never. I mean, it, it's, it's everybody that I've had on, on the platform, everybody I've worked with on the platform is blown away. And that's, and that's what I'm excited about too. And you, you mentioned the, the, the uh, the hundred announcements we made like four five or six weeks ago at Next, and that's the other thing that I see is just that's the hardest part for me is just keeping up on the just constant barrage of new features and services that are launching on on the platform, and some of the stuff I know that's coming that I can't talk about today just gets even me even more excited, you know. So it's I definitely think that you know two three years down the road um, will be you know a force to be reckoned with, and I know publicly we've said. That we believe over the next ten years, that cloud's going to be, a, you know, generate more revenue than ads, and I fully believe it. Uh, you know, it's, it's a, something it, I. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, yeah. If I look at the uh, customer types that you have, you know, you've got the Home Depots, the Coca Colas, um, you know, some of the like HSBC, like these are these are big kind of entrenched brick and mortar type customers um, that may or may not be using, you know, call it Amazon, right? What I see oftentimes are those born in the cloud companies like the Netflix and and the and the Ubers and things like that. Um, do you do you have a, uh, an understanding of what the kind of stratification is between traditional yeah, quote unquote traditional companies versus um, you know, cloud native or born in the cloud companies? Well, I think born in the cloud companies were already attracted to Google just because of some of the services and the fluidity of being able to develop on the platform. Um, I think, you know, your traditional brick and mortar, and again, it kind of comes back, you know, everything is kind of, it comes back to around last year at this time is there were, a, there was a ton of interest in Google Cloud, but I think, you know, <laughs> and it's like the echoes of some some killed projects at Google that's still, it's funny that it affects all you know things as big as cloud is there was... Google entering the cloud space and a little bit of apprehension of is Google serious about this? Are, are they going to be around five years from now or is it going to be project wave? You know what I mean? Like you still get the, 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 and I think that's been, and I, I don't want to say, you know, we, that, that money is the answer to, to a lot of that question. But when Eric Schmidt um, uh, told the audience that we're investing $32 billion over the next three years in infrastructure for cloud, that kind of just sealed it, you know, 
seal the deal that, oh yeah, Google's very serious about this Google Cloud platform. And that's where you see a lot, you know, that's where I've been seeing lately just this landslide of customer involvement and customer interest now it's from traditional brick and mortar that we're looking at a viable option between what's out there and really like the idea of, of working with Google. But just, you know, we're hesitant and wanted to make sure that that Google's in this for the long run. And, and you know, now I think, you know, a lot of forward facing statements that we set around investment and where we think the revenue coming that reassurance is now there with that customer base. And you're just going to see more and more and more of those logos start popping up on GCP for sure. Yeah. And Brent, let's not forget Pokemon go was born on Google <laughs> cloud, right? Yeah. Yeah. Let's yeah I'm not a fan. I'm not a player. So yeah, I know. ingress, I believe was also born on Google cloud. So, you know, okay. I did play that. Yeah. So uh, again, everything for me, it's, you know, it's food movies and Pokemon go We're I'm pretty predictable. Uh, speaking of being predictable, um, Let's roll back again. You you mentioned we mentioned a little bit earlier about kind of on prem and things, and you mentioned one of my favorite words of the day. I think I've already said it like seventeen times, uh, and that was Kubernetes. So like you know we're just getting in the morning, and I've already had three or four conversations about Kubernetes. Um, <laughs> I, I've even already tweeted about it. I was you know kind of joking about some things, but uh, it's it really especially out coming out of DockerCon um, and and all the things that are going around. There's a lot of conversations around who's going to win this kind of workload conversation. Um, and, you know, my perception uh, of, and maybe it's just the echo chamber of who I see on Twitter, is that uh, Docker's losing a bit of favor and that Kubernetes is rapidly gaining favor for multiple reasons. Um, and, you know, I even learned today that, you know, OpenShift is, uh, is, you know, basically running on Kubernetes. It was, you know, shifted from something else. And there's just really a big drive. So when you look at things like Container Engine and you look at Kubernetes, you know, is there a potential for me to, like you said, start today with Kubernetes, start kind of changing what I'm doing with the long-term goal of shifting into either kind of a full all-cloud experience or maybe I've decided for some reason hybridity is cool. Um, so what, you know, tell me the conversation around Kubernetes as I get started uh, you know, kind of shifting what I'm doing today from a workload perspective. Yeah, I mean, it, again, again, you know, the first conversation is around whether or not you want to run Kubernetes on-prem or in the cloud. You know, are there, is there some specific reason you want to run Kubernetes um, on-premises? You know, if you, if you definitely can. And it's just one of those things that, again, it comes back to, do you want to focus on managing Kubernetes or do you want to focus on replatforming the application? Because if you know you can run Kubernetes on prem, but then you're you're now responsible for orchestrating and administrating the the um, the Kubernetes service itself. You know, maintaining you know uh, the services across physical nodes and expanding those physical nodes. And there's a lot of work. I mean, Kubernetes is a great product, but it's a lot of work. It's just like anything else. You've got to manage the infrastructure. Versus if you start with Kubernetes on our cloud, it's a few clicks, tell us how many nodes you want, and you're up and running in 30 seconds. And again, it's one of those things where I, I, I know I'm biased, but unless there's some specific reason why you want to manage a Kubernetes cluster on-prem, um, you've probably got a lot more work ahead of you in the replatforming of the application, and that's where you should really be focused. Not a bunch of resources in managing physical nodes in a Kubernetes cluster. Let us do that. I mean, that's what we're good at. That's that's what we have as a service. Knowing that if you're developing, even if you start developing in, in GKE on the cloud, you're still moving towards this microservices container-based architecture that, for whatever reason, after you've proved it out, now's the time if you want to run it on-prem, then manage a Kubernetes cluster and get that on-prem. But don't start there because you're gonna you're gonna spend months working that all out before you even get to the hard stuff, which is focusing on the application. Focus on the application first. Run some POCs in the cloud if you want. See if what you're envisioning for a new application architecture works, and then if you want to, you know, bring it on prem for whatever reason, then do it there. But I try to steer customers away from starting Kubernetes on prem. So Josh. Uh there was a big announcement uh, around Snapchat and them, uh, you know, filing to go public and they released, Hey, we're going to spend, I think it was $4 billion over the next five years with Amazon and then 2 billion bucks with Google over the next five years. And I'm like, wow, first of all, have you met that team of people or the person who sold that? <laughs> and then the second question is why, why do you think they went that route? 
to have well, a dual vendor strategy. The other thing is, so it's the other way around. So Snap's spending <laughs> four billion, I believe, on us over the next, or what is it? I even two billion over the next four years, and one billion in AWS, whatever. Um, I have not met the Snap team. Trust me, they've got a whole a whole group at Google that's supporting the Snap team. Um, Snap was born on on GCP. All right, so that I mean that was they were started and born in an App Engine. They still run on App Engine, um, and you know, for for any customer when they get to a certain size, you know, I don't know the details on the the AWS spend as well, but it's it's like anybody else. I mean, I, I you you probably you want to hedge your bets, you want to have leverage for pricing and negotiation. So I, you know, I think a, some of that could be, and some of that could just be diversity across public clouds. Um, you know, that's something I get questioned quite a bit. You know, whenever there's a cloud outage from one of the providers in the public space, you get this on flux of, of calls from customers saying, hey, we just took an outage because XYZ cloud platform. And, and I don't ever bash public clouds when they go down because I don't want to throw stones because I know how hard it is to keep a data center up all the time. And it's only a matter of time before anybody has an outage, you know. So but then it begs the question of should I architect I've, you know, a lot of times when, when, when customers take an outage for a public cloud, it's not so much the entire public cloud, public cloud went down, maybe it's a region or a subregion, and they just didn't architect across multiple regions to have a higher availability. That's part of it. And, and then sometimes it is a major cloud outage. And so we get a lot of questions and I'll relate this back to Snap, but sometimes you know, you'll get a lot of concern around, should I be architecting my application across public clouds so that I have even a higher availability? If something were to happen on one, I'm still able to run on the other. And that's a tough conversation because whereas I see the the, the reasoning behind it, uh, again, it's one of those things in practice when you're really starting, to, it's, it's hard enough to, to architect for scalability and availability on a single cloud and now we need to take into account the differences between the cloud and try to architect around two clouds for even higher availability. A lot of times you can shoot yourself in the foot just from a complexity standpoint, um, or it can be, you know, very labor intensive, very operational intensive to do that. Um, so it really comes, you know, I always ask customers when they're thinking about that is, you know, what is the service you're trying to protect? You know, is it something that's crucial life or death? If it's down for an hour, do people die? Well, then, yeah, let's let's talk about, you know, giving you the highest availability possible. If it's I can't upload my friend's pictures to whatever XYZ site for an hour, then maybe you're over architecting and just, you know, deal with, you know, small outages here and there. Um, but for Snap, you know, like I said, I, I don't know the, the ins and outs of that, but it might be along those lines, right? Snap is to the point now where if I were them too, I just would want to hedge my bet against any type of outage. Maybe I have a subset of resources on a different public cloud. So in the, the rare event that anything would happen, that my service itself is available. Because I can't, you know, right now they're in such a competitive space with, with Facebook um, that, you know, they can't just, they can't afford to go down at all, right? So I can, I, I'm just speculating on that might be part of the reason why they're doing spend in both clouds. But if it were me, kind of that would be the reasoning. I, you know, I think about like, you know, Zuckerberg's got, you know, Facebook's got investments in their own data centers. They control their own destiny when it comes to availability. Whereas if you're on a single cloud provider, you're kind of, you know, although we've done an amazing job and I don't think they're really worried about Google for, but I would still want to hedge my bets against somebody like a Facebook if that's my biggest competitor. Because I know if I take an outage, they're going to jump all over that that opportunity. So I could see that. But again, all speculation. No idea, really. <laughs> and, you, and you see a lot of these people who start in a cloud, get to the size of somebody like Snap, uh, and then you know they have to decide, hey, do I want to diversify between cloud providers? Uh, you even see people who kind of you know, fall out of the cloud for operational costs or capital costs or whatever that's decided by some financier. Um, you know, one of the things I just read this week is I saw a, 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 you know, a tweet by somebody who said, hey, Reddit is replatforming onto Kubernetes if you are, you know, if you do Kubernetes, you know, come join the team or whatever. You, we just want you to be in, uh, I don't know, SoCal, NorCal, something like that. Uh, yeah. So, you know, which I thought was really interesting, right? I mean, they they basically started from somewhere. Uh, I know they did one major shift, and I'm blanking on what they were, started to move to. Uh, there are even conversations about them kind of moving on heavily onto Amazon, uh, and you've seen them have issues uh, when Amazon has issues. And now it looks like they're doing Kubernetes, but yet they're deploying it. So it, it appears 
that they're looking at starting to kind of run their own infrastructure. And maybe they're segmenting, right? Maybe there's some stuff that's on-prem and then they're going to do other things or even long-term off-prem and kind of, you know, share different roles depending on what it is. But I thought that was really, really interesting from a Kubernetes perspective. And I think a lot of these companies, as they get to this point, have a lot of decisions to make when it comes to cloud offerings, right? There's, um, you know, you get burned one certain way and that's how you make all your decisions from then on out, right? So um, when the power goes out, you're always paranoid about power at the next time you design it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And again, it's just kind of, it's a business decision. You know, you got to weigh like, what is it that needs to be available? And just, you know, you, you know those five nines or four nines are there for a reason. They're, they're, it's only a matter of time before you're going to take some little outage. It's not, every once in a while, the power does go out. And what, how critical is that to the business? And that really, you know, drives the decision on, am I going to take this, move this, this, my, my platform or invest in data centers and servers and people, that's a huge investment. Um, to make, especially if you're born in the cloud, to pull things back, you know, there's huge investment to make. So, you know, you got to, like I said, I actually love having those conversations. That's what's interesting to me more is like, I love applying the business to the technology and what makes sense. And, you know, we as engineers, we, I've gone down this rabbit hole a million times with myself and, and customers in the past that, you know, we want to get to zero downtime and we architect the hell out of something and you get to these amazing, just huge conglomerates of technology to do these zero downtime. And like, what are we providing zero downtime for again? And they're like, oh, well, this is our, uh, you know, our internal messaging service or something like that. And you're like, oh, well, well, we just re-architected this way over, you know what I mean? Like at a certain point, you have to take a step back and look at what are you trying to provide service for? And is it more advantageous to your business to focus somewhere else from versus providing nine nines of availability? You know, so it's interesting. Yeah. So, so Josh, just to uh, to clarify, and you were right. So, um, the contract with Snap and Google is two billion dollars over the next five years, and AWS is one billion dollars. So, um, you're yeah. absolutely right. Uh, it's bigger for GCP. So uh, we've got a few minutes left on this episode. You, you, we talked about the the next uh, conference, Google Next conference that happened in March of this year. Uh, we can't go through all 100 of the announcements that came out of that. But in your <laughs> mind, what were uh, a few of the top announcements that came out of Google Next? Um, you know, it didn't come out of Google Next. It actually came out a couple weeks earlier. But you know, one of the things I'm most most excited about is Spanner. Um, so Spanner is our horizontally scalable, it's going to be globally available, um, transactionally consistent, consistent database service. <laughs> it's a mouthful, right? But basically what you're getting access to is the database that Google uses globally for AdWords, for the Play Store, for um, even Google Cloud Platform itself. Um, the, the management pane runs on Spanner. So it's exciting to me just from a personal experience, you know, because, you know, before I was uh, worked for a vendor, I worked for Discover Card, you know, part of Morgan Stanley for 10 years. And I know what it means to try to build a, a globally accessible database across different geographic locations and what that the heartache that really takes and how crucial that is to, to most businesses. You know, having data, data consistency across multiple regions is what we, you know, kind of what we, the heart of all applications when you're architecting something at scale. And so that to me is exciting more than anything else because it, you're, you're, it's, it's, it's new to the public, but it's something that's been battle tested at Google here forever. I mean, if you, as soon as you say AdWords, that is, you know, nothing's going to go down <laughs> if, if AdWords is writing on top of that database. And I'm just excited that that's now publicly available. Like, you, I mean, I, I can't know I keep harping on this, but you can literally within 30 seconds have a database that's going to scale beyond anything you're ever going to need globally accessible um, using SQL um, and it's, it's, it's consistent. And so, I mean, you know, like I said, the heart of every application is that database and that was usually the hardest part. And now we've eliminated that hardest part and you can just leverage this, all the effort that we've put into developing Spanner over the last uh, 2005, 12 years or something like that. Um, and so when you eliminate, because I always think about that too, just me, me personally, when I dream about building to build the next snap or whatever, you know, my application, it always comes down to a certain point. If I'm successful, I'm going to scale so big. And how do I do the database? Like, what do I, what do I use as a database? How do I replicate it? How do I scale it? And to have that, that huge portion of, of a business of an application just taken care of, to me is probably the most exciting thing that we've announced. And I think you're, you're just, you know, 
as we're in we're in we're in a beta now and as we go GA and the customers are getting comfortable with the technology you're going to hear more and more success stories around that but to me that's just huge because you know, that always was the challenge with scaling large applications is the database and now that's not a challenge anymore it's just it's available to you we use it we've been using it for years have at it and now worry about something else <laughs> i like the everything i you know that's what i like about cloud that's why i'm so, so driven to it because you know, all that stuff that used to be just cycles and cycles of heartache to get to the point where you're even now focused on what you wanted to do in the first place, which was bring a service to your consumers, uh, is now coming to fruition where I, I really can't. I can just focus on developing. I can focus on um, the service I want to bring to my consumers without worrying about the infrastructure. And that was kind of the last piece was the database. You know, we had MySQL is a service, we had Postgres as a service, but there were limitations to the scale that you could go on that before you started having to manage multiple instances and sharding and, and all that, whereas Spanner takes that all out of the picture. You know, you, you, like I said, you'd have to scale larger than Google before you're, you're going to end up needing something bigger than Spanner. And so at that point, like I love the, the idea of you combine Spanner with just even App Engine, and now I'm writing code that can that can scale to the Pokemon size <laughs> and I never have to worry about any of that. It's just taking, you know, it just becomes, am I built driving enough revenue to pay for the resources that I'm going to be consuming? That's really your only issue around uh, using the cloud. It's no longer, man, am I going to reach some critical mass where I'm going to have to architect some crazy solution to get the scale that's taken care of. So spanner definitely, I, you can tell I'm pretty excited about that one. Yeah. I mean, I'm excited about it too. It sounds really cool. And of course my mind's spinning about like, you know, different things in my career, what I would do with something like Spanner. Um, you Again, you said this started in 2005, so it's 12 years in development? Yeah. That's well, they started develop, we started developing in 2005. I don't know when it actually went into what we call production internally for, you know, the AdWords database, but mm -hmm. it was, you know, we were using, you know, Google was using MySQL back in 2004 for the AdWords database. And at a certain point, you know, again, this is, again, why you go back to that original question of why Google and the partnership is, we ran into the big data problems years and years and years ago and then developed services to deal with all the big data problems that people are running into now just because of the massive growth of Google over the years. So things like Spanner, like I said, you know, we, we outgrew MySQL in 2005, the limits of what it could do and had to develop our own service and, you know, have proven that out now and now it's available to everybody else. So it's, it's a, like I said, that's exciting for me because again, that's all, that's been always the hard part. You know, the data consistency at, at scale becomes just a huge undertaking. So I think to me, that's exciting because it's going to open up. You're going to see new apps, new businesses, new services developed on the backs of Spanner that are going to again. It's all accelerating everything time to market because that probably took out just using Spanner probably takes out a year of development time and architecture for a lot of these large applications. So now you're going to see things even proliferating even faster on the, on the web, you know, on the cloud. So it's, it's exciting. That was a big piece, right. That's now taken care of. Yeah. Very like cool. I just, I did a quick Google search on this and uh, <laughs> yeah, it's uh it looks like it's asset compliant. So uh, certainly interesting and five nines availability. So what, what uh, we'll ask from you then is an introduction to that team. We'd love to have them on, learn more yeah. about, uh, learn more about what they're doing and, and how it's being used. Yeah. So like I said, I'm excited because again, you take that with PaaS, and now you've got you've got your application as a service and your data as a service, and everything else is, you know, again, you just focus on the app, you just focus on what you're trying to deliver. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff. And you couple that, you do an export of that into BigQuery, and now you've got this data warehouse analytics you can provide on that. Then you, you know, you uh, you model your data and speed that right into the TensorFlow service, and you're applying machine learning. All the pieces are in place to do some amazing uh, application development in the future. Very cool. Well, Josh, cool man. We've we've uh, gone over our, our sixty minute time frame, but um, I know we have got plenty more to talk about. Well, we're going to shut this down for today. So, Josh, uh, when and where can we find you next? Uh, are you are you out there on the public speaking circuit? Are you are you going to be uh, talking to some customers? Anything? Where, where can where can our listeners find you next? Yeah, I'm always I'm always talking to customers. Um, I've done a lot of public speaking lately. Um, you know, you find me on LinkedIn, and I usually post when I'm going to be uh, when I'll be out speaking. I manage. I have two GCP meetup groups on Meetup that I uh, um, that I officiate. One in LA, one in San Diego. Uh, I've got a paper out there for VMworld, so I might be speaking at VMworld this year if it gets approved. We'll see. Um, and then, like I said, LinkedIn's probably the best place to see where I'm going to be at. Uh, 
but yeah, you know, probably speaking somewhere once every couple of weeks. Okay, cool. And then what about Twitter? Where can we find you out there? Uh, it's just Joshua Gwyther. Okay, easy uh, early enough. Twitter, early Twitter user, so I got my name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cool. So, uh, and then and then another thing we like to ask our guests is, uh, what's a what's a cool piece of reading material that you've been you've been digging on lately? Whether it's uh, you know technology related or otherwise, just personal interest. Yeah, you know I've been reading um, Tim Ferriss's new book. I can't remember the. Let me look up the name of the. Uh, the title it's something about learning from titans or something like that uh it's not magicians of the gods or super intelligence you must have already finished those huh oh so good if you guys haven't read magicians of the god it's amazing scary but so good love that book oh tools of the titans by tim ferris oh yeah yeah so, yeah 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 it's, it's really good i mean it's just a encyclopedia of of basically you know he has a podcast and he's obsessed with you know the uh the outliers of you know every every different type of, of vertical or type of person so you know he's taken his his podcast over the last two years and basically formulated a book of all the best nuggets out of all the people that he's interviewed and it, it goes over health wealth and something else so health else and well-being so it's, it's interesting it's just like i said it's one of those books that there's just so many useful nuggets that i've just been highlighting constantly and trying to you know uh, assimilate some of the stuff into my daily life. So it's, it's, it's a good book. Yeah. I have that, I have that book tagged in a, uh, uh, midsize online bookstore or something I might want to buy sometime soon. <laughs> yeah. It's one of those ones you can jump around to. It's really, it's, you know, it's more of like, like I said, like an encyclopedia. So if there's something you can go through the index and like, ah, I want to jump to here. You're not going to miss anything by jumping to a certain interview or a certain subject. So it's good for my ADD these days. <laughs> Awesome. Well, cool. So for all of our listeners out there, uh, check out Josh's stuff. Look for him if you want to hear more uh, out there in the wild. And uh, as always, get social with us. Let us know what uh, what you want to hear next uh, because we're always, we're always open to doing that and uh, finding some good topics for you guys. So with that, we're going to shut down the hot aisle today. My name is Brent Piotti. I'm Brian Carpenter. And Josh, thanks for being on today. It was, it was really fun. Thank you.